Dabs podcast on call-in. This is episode 33, Jink and Brie Debate Left Divide. Recently, Jink Uger and Brianna Joy Gray had a debate about issues on the left, which turned into a podcaster slash journalist bashing session. The focus should be about the policies, not podcasters. Is the left divide better or worse after this discussion? So I do have a short clip I want to play here for you guys to listen to. And then I'll go ahead and take calls. So here we go. I'll give it a second. It's loading. Give me just a second. Okie doke. Pull this up again here. And here we go. All right. Okay, here we go. People have different tactics. I understand that Jimmy's tone is not necessarily what I choose. It's not what you choose and it's not what you like. But I also respect that he channels a lot of the deep anger and resentment that so many people who are failing and being crushed by, uh, you know, poverty, by medical debt, by cancer, by all kinds of ailments. Those people are looking at people like you and I, who are sitting here calmly at our desks, talking about these things, you know, in a way that can feel academic to people who are really suffering, and they see something in Jimmy. And if Jimmy is attracting a certain kind of audience and pulling certain people to the left, who resonates with them. Let me chime in here for just a second, because she touched on something that, again, we've been talking about for a long time. I've said this before. It can be a turn off when you have people, these academics, a lot of these high, like, highly professionals, the lawyers, they don't fight back the way that they, they could or should. And she's right. There are people looking at people like, like her and Jink Uger and saying, like, look. You guys are better off than a lot of us. Why are you willing to fight? Why can't you understand the type of pain and frustration that we have? And I say this as someone, look, I've been on both sides, okay? I was an academic advisor. I grew up in a middle-class family. And then when the housing crisis happened, I became poor pretty quickly. So I know what it's like to be on both sides. And I'll say this. It is something that I've often had to remind faculty that I've worked with. Sometimes when you're talking to people, sometimes it's good to just take a step back and take off your professor hat, your academic hat, and just listen to what they are saying and what they are going through. And not only talk to people who are in the same class as you, because I appreciate the fact that they're having this discussion but Jink Uger should also be having this discussion with poor people and working class people. I know they probably have people that can go out on the ground to do that, but I, I think he should do that. I think he should get out there and talk to them too. I think Anna Kasparian should get out there and talk to them too. I think 
Every now and then, people need to leave their comfy studios. And by the way, I do, this is not a studio. Leave their comfy studios and go out there and talk to those people. Because basically what we have happening here is podcaster talking to podcaster. And a lot of times, both of them are in comfortable positions financially. They're talking about what working class people and poor people want, but they've never been in that position. So I really want to see people. I, this goes out to everybody. Some of you, you're a little too comfortable. I want to see some of you get up and leave your studio and go out and talk to working class and poor people. Okay. So that was a clip there. I actually, I talked about this debate on my channel. So that was a clip from that discussion. And I'm going to go ahead and take the next caller. And so that is Johnny. So you are on the mic. Hey, Sabrina, how you doing? Hello, how are you? Always nice to talk to you. I appreciate the timing. You you caught me at a good moment. Uh, work's not bugging me too much, so I figured I'd jump in and uh, <laughs> throw in my two cents, if you don't mind. No, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, great conversation topic, because I do think the left needs to sort out its internal differences, right? Um, you know, uh, I think Bree is actually starting to come around to points that I've thought about earlier, which is, you know, and there's a zillion business books about it in the airport, which is leadership matters. And as soon as Bernie lost on Super Tuesday, he stopped being a leader. He it's not because we abandoned him. He abandoned us. He, he put down his sword and, you know, gave up the throne, abdicated the throne and has, hasn't fought for a thing since. Right. He didn't ask Biden for any concessions, uh, lost his Build Back Better agenda, uh, you know, didn't fight around the COVID stimulus bill that came out early in Biden's administration. He he basically gave up. He he hung it up and retired. And the most we can get out of Bernie is, um, you know, the, the occasional failed amendment, which sort of slightly embarrasses Democrats. But again, he won't mansion. He won't cinema. He won't do that. He won't threaten to sink a bill. He won't jam up the works in the Senate. He won't sacrifice. He won't risk his own career. He won't risk his own standing. He just doesn't want all of the things we all want. Medicare for all, you know what I mean? The, we, the Bernie agenda, you know what I mean? 2016, 2020. He just doesn't want those things as badly as a lot of people do. And I think we got to come to the, come to grips with that. Uh, your point about comfortable academics, comfortable podcasters are well taken. Uh, but I do think Bree is one of the best brains in the business. And I think she's realizing we actually do need leadership. And Bernie provided it. And once he laid down his weapons and refused to ever pick them up again, no matter how many times the Democrats ran away from his agenda, we're still leaderless. And without a leader, the you know, we're, we're, it's it's almost an inevitable struggle to you know descend into infighting and backbiting and like there's just nothing to fight for there's nothing to unify us around anything um i mean i do think there's issues with tyt's you know seriousness about the politics i don't think they particularly want all these things very hard as well they're not willing to lose a couple of seats to republicans just because they need to hold the democrats to account there's just no willingness to to make a short-term sacrifice um, in order to cost the Democrats a couple seats and say, you know what, we're going to have to take an L on this one, on this, this can, you know, this uh, election round, because you Democrats aren't doing what we told you to do, and you need to be punished. And go ahead, better luck next time. Want to tr try again in two years? Maybe we'll give you another shot. But you better listen next time. 
right? The idea that this next election is always the most important election and that we have to just like give everything we've got because, you know, tyranny and fascism is right around the corner. It's just crime. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's just folly. I mean, it's, I don't know how people take it seriously anymore. The idea that we we can't fix the problems in the Democratic Party in one election cycle, nor can we fix the problems in the Republican Party in one election cycle. But God knows they'll always have some demon to scaremonger around. So where, where does the left go from here? I don't know. But I, this kind of discussion and this kind of you know conversation needs to be had. I think it's still very hard to take Cenk Uger about uh, very seriously. Um, as a as a serious political pundit, political pundit, political thinker, and I still think Bree's one of the best in the business. And I thought, you know, that was proven over to me in spades. Uh, I actually I got a little bit of an anecdote myself, if you don't mind. Uh, the last point, um, you said you were involved in academia and have also been, you know, really short of funds, you know, in the working class, vulnerable, suffering the precarity that America just spreads around as much as it can. And I guess that's something I didn't dawn on me in academia when I was in school. I had a professor who would profess to be a straight-up Marxist, you know, told us about various models of capitalism, um, you know, would, would, you know, give us lots of very interesting, you know, lessons of history that were important in my understanding of how politics can and should work and how societies should work. And then when it came down to it, he would write these, like, screeds defending Obama, while the bailouts were going on. And I'm like, where did all that go? Like, where did all this rethinking of capitalism go? As soon as Obama got elected, all you do is write about how, like, we should support Obama when he's trying to cut Social Security and Medicare. I mean, like, what happened here? And ultimately, I I think you've got a valid point where academics are, are in a culture, in a career path where they are very much encouraged to go along to get along. There's no room for dissent and debate. I mean, honestly, it looks a lot like corporate America. You know what I mean? The Republicans have been saying, or a lot of conservatives have been saying for years that um, that colleges should look more like private corporations. And to be honest, they got their wish, right? They've got a bunch of voices in universities that play on the, you know, that sing from the same sheet of music, that, you know, uh, follow the same script, and they don't really challenge power. And that's the that's the last point I'll make. And thanks for thanks for letting me kind of go off on my soapbox for a little while. Savvy, I appreciate it. Those are all good points, Johnny. Uh, I, I will say in reference to academia, I have noticed something about the left. And this is just from my experience. And, you know, feel free to tell me how you feel about this. It does seem to me that the left is heavily academic. Uh, if you look at the voices, the I guess the ones that have the largest, like Mike, right? And this is not necessarily podcasters. Sometimes it's journalists. Sometimes it's professors who don't have a show. The left, from what I've seen, is heavily academic. And I think that what happens is that sometimes when you don't have people who are working class and people who are poor also, let's not forget people who are poor, because oftentimes they're not spoken about at all. They don't really have a voice on the left. And I've heard this multiple times and I've seen it multiple times. So a lot of times what you have are people who are these academics, professors, people who have written several books, bestsellers. They're the ones that are speaking for people who are working class and poor. And I'm not here to say that they shouldn't be able to talk about that. But what I am saying is that 
they don't have the experience of what it's like to go through that struggle. And I think we need to hear from those people. This is actually like, when you think about RBN, this is where we came from. This is exactly why we decided to do this because we noticed this too, that you weren't hearing from those people for the most part, with the exception of Jordan Sheraton, I will say is really good about capturing those voices and that pain, right? But in reference to like this space overall, you just don't really see it. And I, I think that's unfortunate. So that's why we got into this space. We wanted to give people a different perspective from those of us who have had to struggle. Um, I think in reference to faculty talking about certain topics in, in higher education, I can tell you from my experience, there was a shift in higher ed. When I was an undergrad, I felt like there were more faculty members that were willing to be like a Richard Wolf, right? They were willing to speak against the mainstream narrative. Over the years, especially when I started working in higher ed, I have noticed that higher ed overall has actually started to become more conservative. It's already corporate. And so those types of voices are not elevated the way that they were before. So when people make these claims that all these colleges are, are liberal, progressive, and that's actually not true. Some of the students that go there may be that way, but when you look at the actual business model of higher education, it's conservative. And I think that when we talk about censorship, I've experienced a lot of that working in higher ed. There were certain things I could not talk about. I remember I had a Bernie Sanders sticker in my office and it gave some people pause. Some people did not feel comfortable with that. So then there was the whole discussion of, should you guys talk about politics in the workplace? Because it makes some people uncomfortable. So that's one of the reasons why I left higher ed, because as time went by, I noticed that I couldn't be my full self. I had to hide part of who I was. And so I said, this is not, this is not good for me. So I think that in reference to this debate, what was really disappointing is the fact that Jink Uger continued to make it about personalities instead of making it about the issues. And he did exactly what I predicted he would do is he's going to make this all about Jimmy Dore, Aaron Mate, Max Blumenthal, like Glenn Greenwald. And that's what he did. And so because of that, I felt like it wasn't constructive. And I don't think like when Bree went into this debate, I don't think that was her intention. I think her intention was to genuinely look, let's figure out how we can bridge this divide on the left because there is a big divide. And I think what people like Jink Uger needs to understand, if you really want to succeed on the left, you have to keep in mind that as much as you, you dislike Jimmy Dore, there are a lot of lefties that like Jimmy Dore, that watch Jimmy Dore, and are Jimmy Dore fans. So criticizing Jimmy Dore to Brianna Joy Gray, when this was supposed to be a discussion about how the left can come together and over the issues and the policies per se, that is actually not going to help the left win. And I'm not saying that there aren't conservatives that don't listen to Jimmy Dore. There are conservatives that listen to Jimmy Dore. But you also have to understand that there are a lot of lefties that really like Jimmy Dore. So if you think you're going to bring the left together or we're going to increase and grow, 
and you're constantly smearing someone like that, this is never going to work. This is never going to work. All that did, like after that debate, a lot of people, I got a lot of emails, DMs, and this is just what I'm hearing from people. People are telling me they feel like the left is more divided now after that discussion because Jink brought in the personalities when he could have just talked about the issues. And I want to get your take on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think the divide's there, right? Um, to let me go back to your point about academia, because I had an interesting anecdote from the Bernie campaign. Uh, I was up in New Hampshire. I'm in Massachusetts, like you, right? Uh, I was up in New Hampshire knocking on doors. And we ran into a professor that was very eager to, uh, I can't remember the college, but it's probably better to leave it out. Uh, we ran into a professor that was very eager to tell us why he was anyone but Bernie. And I hadn't heard this viewpoint articulated, and it was a very, like, PMC, self-centered point of view. He had a very cushy academic job. I don't recall whether he said he had tenure or not. I think he was a physics or chemistry professor or something in the physical sciences. And he was very clear that he says, if state colleges are tuition-free, no one will pay for my private college, and that will, that will hurt my career. He was very clear about it. He was, that's, he was pretty much like... I am in favor of my class interest, the high tuition, my, you know, university charges that I work for that gives me a very cushy lifestyle, um, you know, is a higher priority to me than getting the trillion dollars worth of debt that has been, you know, uh, just a, a dead weight on American middle class, working class, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of crossover, right? It's not the elites that have that debt. That didn't mean anything to him. What really worried him was his own personal prestige, his own class status, his own career. And he saw Bernie's plan to make in-state tuition, tuition-free, a real threat and an imminent danger. And he quite clearly was anybody but Bernie. And now there were not everybody on the faculty of that school um, thought the same way, of course, right? And just to really hammer home the point, the people who were hosting us that were kind of like the you know the little jump off point the meeting point for us to go um you know go knocking around you know they were providing us a list and you know kind of giving you know helping aid and abet while we went and knocked on doors they were also professors at that same college and knew the same guy and they were like you knocked on his door and that's what he told you and we were very happy to you know explain you know what the guy had said this physics professor had said and they were like wow we didn't know he felt that way. It was just, it was just incredible to see. Like you had people who were, who actually believed in something, who were hosting and trying to, you know, help a Bernie campaign, a grassroots door knocking campaign from Bernie. And then you had other members of the faculty who were just absolutely dead set against it because it would endanger, you know, their ability to charge 60, 70, 80, whatever, a thousand dollars a year that guy's right. college was charging. And that, you know, no debate between Cenk Uger and uh, Cenk Uger and, and Brianna Joy Gray is going to, you know, <laughs> that, that divide is still there. You know what I mean? Exactly. Between the professional classes who are willing to align with the elites to protect their own very, you know, often very cushy position. Um, and others who actually do believe in something and are willing to take a little bit what might end up being a little bit of professional risk. I mean, let's be honest, right. like the guy, the physics professor can go find another job at another school. You know what I mean? And Roland will probably go up. They might need more physics professors. You know what I mean? The guy maybe gets a raise or a promotion out of it. 
you know, if you stop charging so much tuition, you might get a huge influx of students and state schools might have to expand. I mean, his career, he could have read the situation entirely backwards, you know. Right. But I think the thing is, uh, at least what I've experienced is the private schools pay more. So it's the, oh, man, but no listen, doubt but, yeah, no but doubt what, what you but what you just said, that's what I was talking about with the class divide. You bet. And, and I experienced it, too. Like, I worked at Boston University. I worked at MIT. And I can tell you, the majority <laughs> the of the faculty of members, <laughs> yeah, the majority <laughs> of the faculty members, they are not feeling these policies yeah. because it would affect them. Because they've told me, like, I don't want to pay more just so people can go to college for free. I don't want to. I have health insurance. I don't care about Medicare for all. Like, not that they're not necessarily sympathetic to what people are going through, but they don't want it to affect their bottom line. And and again, that's the class divide. There are faculty members at these schools, they're making like six figures. And that's just for, for their teaching part of their position. A lot of times these positions are broken up into different percentages where they're paid like 80% of their salary goes towards their teaching. And then maybe 20% may go towards the fact that they research. are a faculty director over a program. Yeah, so or a lot research of times it's split grants and stuff, right? Or research grants. And that yeah. doesn't include the money that they also make from their books. Mm. So I think, you know, again, like, but that's the point about the class divide. A lot of times people, they don't want to, if they see that it's going to affect them in some way, shape or form, they're not selfless enough to say, <laughs> okay, yes, I support it because- I think everybody else should have that opportunity. It's hard to uh, make a political allegiance with people who are earning publishing royalties, isn't it? <laughs> but you're yeah. right. The gap between tenured professors and the adjuncts that, you know, get two and three year contracts at best and move on. You know what I mean? Or some who are just stuck right. TAing forever. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, it looks like the what happened to the union movement. You know what I mean? Like, go ask, you know, auto workers in Michigan about two tier. You know what I mean? It, yeah. that's, that's how they've split the class into subclasses, you know what I mean? And picked off what they need and, you know, left the rest to, you know, to, to go to live in precarity. Well, you definitely see the class di uh, dynamic, I think, in these universities when all the faculty members, especially the ones that are tenure track or tenure, they can all afford to buy homes here in Massachusetts. But the oh, staff bet. members, a lot of the staff members can't. Yeah. And hey. it's, Yeah. And also, let, let's not blow off, um, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, if, if we're going to talk about class, we also should talk about race. And, you know, there's an inheritance factor there as well. A lot of these people in uh, higher education have got family money that they can lean on, you know, and they know there's a soft landing if things don't work out. That's a good point. When That's you've got family point. money, you know, I'm I'm dealing with, you know, aging parents and, you know, we're, we're digging into the, you know, getting under the hood of what mom and dad really have or don't have, as the case may be. And that stuff matters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whether you know the, the real nuts and bolts of what your parents balance sheet looks like isn't really the point, even if they sometimes hide it. You know, the families do different things, but there's always a sense of whether or not your parents have your back if things go south. Right. And, or whether they can. You know what I mean? Whether they can even do that. That's a good point. Well, I see we do have um, a good amount of yeah, people me, lined up. So I'm going to go ahead. Thanks, curl. Sabrina. All righty. Thank you. OK, Curl, you are on the mic. You just have to hit the unmute. Yep. Hey, Sabrina. How you doing today? Hey, how are you? 
I am everything you were just talking about except black, uh, very, very poor and working. So uh, I'm gonna have to make this short, but I just wanted to say uh, I've watched as much as I could stomach of uh, Jank and, and Brianna and uh, wow, I thought Jimmy Dore was being hyperbolic when he you know, goes on his anti-TYT rant, but holy smokes, that guy, whoo, what is he talking about? Jimmy Dore is a Republican and he's courting, I, I don't understand yeah. this, this, you want to divide everybody from each other. I don't get it. Yep. And this is why the left can't, this is why we have this divide. This is why the left can't come together because Jink Uger told all of you guys, you know, himself when she asked him like, you know, would you be willing to have a discussion with those individuals? And he said, no. So you see what I, I just, mean? Like, I, th I think I, this I is exactly something... what you mean. It's the Jimmy Dore point where if you're, you're getting a union together, which I'm a union worker, and there's people in my union that are big Trump supporters. And it's, I'm not going to hate on them. They just think differently than I do. They're not evil people. They just don't think the same way I do. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I think that, again, I think people need to realize that even though you may not like Jimmy Dore, and yes, some conservatives may listen to Jimmy Dore, I want to make it very clear that conservatives watch all left. Me if you think it's just Jimmy Dore they're watching, that's not true. You have conservatives that watch TYT, that watch Breaking Points, or I don't know what Breaking Points is today, but uh, that watch like Majority Report. It's not just people on the left that watch those shows. So I think people need to stop putting conservatives into a box and assuming that they only watch Fox News. That's not true. Yeah, no, it is absolutely not true because uh, one of the ladies I work with is a super MAGA lady. She's just way, she's down with the whole thing. He's, uh, he's gonna save us from all the evildoers. Uh, she watches Jimmy Dore and her mind has been changed about things like Medicare for all. Like, why do you think it's up to 46% of Republicans? It's because we talk to them and convince them. <laughs> and I gotta, I gotta let you go, but thank you. Thanks so much, Curl. Appreciate that. All right, the next caller is Karthik. You are on the mic. Hey, Sabrina, uh, just one. So I, I, I know that people know that, like, uh, Jake always accuses uh, uh, Jimmy that he's taking, like, like cash from Katzenberg. But I don't think what people like most people don't know is like he also took four million from a uh, Republican uh, governor, but but Buddy Romer years before the Katzenberg cash. It's always oh, hilarious really? when Jimmy accuses. Yeah, it was in 2014. He got he got it from uh, uh, Romer, uh, R O E M E R, who was like the Republican governor of Louisiana, I think, in the early 2000s or late 90s, and he actually got it from uh, uh, his. Uh, venture capital fund so it's a bit of a uh wall street in the mix too but interesting um, yeah but huh. besides that that's not that important so we're talking about um the uh a divide between like uh podcasters or whatever you said um well it's, I, I, it's not even just it's not even just podcasters it's just like the left like in general it's not just the people who are on the mic it's also the people who went out there and and voted and heavily supported you know bernie sanders like some of us don't want to do this anymore and some of us want to do other things we want to do more direct action and mutual aid oh, or we yeah, want to like sure. support 
third party or independent candidates instead. And we just need to leave this duopoly. And when we say those things, especially those of us at RBN, people tell us, people like Jink Uger say that we're being divisive. Why are we being divisive if we're seeing that this system is not working and we want to do something else that's actually mutual aid has been proven to work time and time and time again. So I don't understand why there has to be division over that. If if you don't feel comfortable like doing mutual aid, then then don't do mutual aid. But don't like I guess I guess in so many words like don't hate on us because we we are doing that. Yeah, I I I know people uh, I've heard people call you uh, right wing, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but yeah, there's like a certain like a group of like lefties and not like podcasters that I say also like just uh right re- re- regular people that are like like kind of like pro-institution like obviously they'll say oh corporations are bad and evil and you know xyz but at, at the end of the day like they they generally trust the fbi the state department fda you know all like you know even cia sometimes to an extent state department and um so yeah like i'm not because the debate kind of was like partly about fbi and like and a lot of people at tyt have always been pro like strongly pro fbi like they love the fbi and they act like um, FBI was only bad like 50, 60 years ago during the uh, uh, days of the Black Panthers and stuff. Um, and also you were talking about like how like more podcasters uh, need to do more like on the, the ground reporting instead of just talking from their comfy uh, uh, million dollar studio. Well, I remember like a few years ago, like when Jordan and Jimmy were still at TYT, like, like Anna like just said alive that like she kind of admires what they what Jimmy and Jordan do like sometimes actually like talking to people because like like she's too scared to do it herself. Interesting. I, I think if Fred Hampton were alive today, what would they say about Fred Hampton? Well, they'd call him a right winger probably because that's what they do to to people that are to the left. Uh, exactly. The PMCs, yeah. Exactly. Say, so yeah. I think for me, you know. Those of you that have been watching me for a long time, you know, like, I am not pro-police. I'm not pro any of the alphabet letter groups. I am not. (laughs) Uh, So instead of saying that we are what we are, instead of calling those of us at RBN Marxists, which is technically what we are, they're going to smear us and call us right wing because we're actually further to the left of them. Like, how can you be at this point in time, if you say that you're a leftist, how can you be pro-cop? How can be how can you be pro FBI? Like, how can you? I don't understand that. So my thing is, is like, I think that someone like Fred Hampton, and other Black Panther uh, members, which there are some of them still alive today. And I would like to talk to some of them about this. But I think they had the right idea because they realized long time ago that our government was not going to save us. Our government was not going to help us. We have to help each other. And if that is threatening or scary to someone like Jink Uger, you have to ask yourself why. Why would that bother him? Is it because he's not doing those things? Is it because he would have that pressure on him to do those things as well? But my thing is, is this, is like this system, from what I've seen, the two-party system, it's just, it's a graveyard. Like Shama Sawant was correct. It's a graveyard in reference to actually doing something for the people. They just give us just enough to get by, but they don't give us enough to actually get out of our situation and get ahead. And this capitalist system has shown us time and time again that it is not working. 
And so, yeah, they can call me whatever they want. <laughs> Racist right wing. Yeah. Yeah. They can call me whatever they want. But yeah. you have to ask, why are they so adamant on smearing these individuals? And I, I, I would say this to Jink Uger. Why don't you sit down and have those dis- this discussion with people like Jimmy Dore and Aaron Mate and Max Blumenthal? Because, because he would Green be embarrassed. Ball. Like the last time, like he he debated Aaron Mate was on RussiaGate. Like it was actually like like a few weeks before the uh, uh, Mueller report came out, which is hilarious. And he was like pro. Uh, like, like he was talking about like, how Trump's just like a Putin puppet or whatever. And like Aaron provided all these reasons why he's not. And like it was really sad to see because like that was when I was a TYT fan. And I'm like, it was just so like obvious. Like even though I was a big fan of Jake back then, it was so obvious like how he's like such a narcissist and how he's wrong. Yeah, and it's just I I think you know when I think about like people coming together, I think about some of the organizations I've been a part of in the past. Like when I worked for Habitat Humanity and things like that. When I like volunteered for them, nobody was asking, "Are you on the right? Are you on the left?" Politics didn't even come into the discussion. We were just there to do something good for people. People need homes. Like we should organize people to do more of that. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why this is even an issue uh, for them. But I think the constant smearing, I think it needs to stop. And I've, I've said this before, I will talk to anyone, anyone, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna agree with them. And if you're afraid to talk to someone because they disagree with you, then why are you a commentator? Like, really, like, it's just, I'm sorry, but you have to get out of this bubble. Like, people have to get out of the bubble of only talking to people on the left or only talking to people that are a part of their class. And I think that's a big problem that I see in left space. And like I said, yeah, like, I you need more working class people in this space. Yeah, well, like, I, I think what, what, what a lot of, like, PMC types, like Jenk and maybe Sam Cedar as well, want it's like i i remember like i i, I read a quote about uh mlk once and he was like like certain uh liberals or something like uh prefer a uh ne- negative piece which has order um instead of like 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 justice or something like, i i'm sure i'm like uh, butchering the quote um and that's totally what like all these pmc types want you know like, like they're fine like, like as long as like they, they don't really have to see it like, like they're fine with like the system working as it is because they've all uh benefited from like the current uh, injustice yeah i mean these are great points i think that i think that brie had a point when she said that you know jimmy has a way of speaking to people that really resonates with those individuals and i don't think that just because you have disagreements with someone i don't think that means that you should just start smearing them and tell people like not to not to listen to them. I don't like the cancel culture. I don't like that. Telling people not to listen to them and things like that, because no, like obviously there are people that he is reaching and people are watching him for a reason. Maybe he's talking about things in a way that they're not seeing on these other outlets. And so I think he should still have the space to do that. And I think that in reference to moving forward, I think we need to go back to the policies and the issues. And my thing is, last time I checked, all of us on the left were for Medicare for all. So I didn't understand why there was all this split over force the vote. And then when they even admit, Jink admitted in the debate that earlier on in the beginning, he was for. Yeah, force the vote. I remember he liked that. The idea that's why I was happy. Right. 
And then, so I had to ask myself, like, so it's really about the personality. It's about the person it was associated with. And I knew this was more of a smear thing in reference to the whole divide over force the vote, because if you notice when people criticize force the vote, they criticize Jimmy Dore. Yeah, it's always about, about Jimmy Dore. They're, they're all in love with him. Right. What about all the other people that were a part of the force the vote town hall? They yeah. don't bring up Cornel yeah. West. They don't bring or up Kyle Kalinske. Chris Hedges. Yeah, it, it seemed uh, like, like every time. It. Yeah, it seemed like every time Brianna Joy Gray brought up Chris Hedges, like like Jane just like had to shut up because like because there's no way you're gonna convince a bunch of people that Chris Hedges is some racist like far right winger or whatever. Right, but they don't bring up those people, and I, I want more people to pay attention to that. Like, why aren't they bringing up the other people that were part of like force the vote? You know, it's just I I think that again I think the focus of the debate was lost. Because I think that the the intent of it, at least coming from what Bree was saying, was to kind of bridge that divide in her trying to have an understanding as to why he called her a fake leftist to begin with. And my thing is, is this, if you are going to be called that just because you are friends with someone or associate with someone that they feel is that way, I think that's messed up. I don't think that you should just start like calling people that because they know Jimmy Dore. Yeah, I mean, the, let's let's be real. Yeah, the only thing they have left is to call people racist right wingers. And you were talking about how, hey, maybe uh, what Brianna Gray, Joy Gray said, hey, uh, may, maybe Jenks should have on Aaron Mate or Glenn Greenwald or Jimmy Doron, but he would never do that. Like, first of all, just because of his ego. But if he did do that, like, especially Jimmy could like expose like so much, you know, about what TYT is in. So that's why he can't ever have that. But uh, last thing I'll say is. Is that you know you were talking about like the we were talking about the PMC class and you know their I guess tendencies or whatever you want to say, um, but they always care about like the proper channels or whatever you want to call it. like you have to go through like through these organizations or that organizations. Um, but and another thing about them is like they like they'll talk about like oh we need to hold, hold the Democrats accountable or whatever, and you know we're going to be tough on them. But they never like really explain what that means. Like, I, like the closest they'll do is like just get just get angry, um, on their uh, uh, you know podcast or, or uh, 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 YouTube channel. But if somebody actually does want to like actually pressure the, the Democrats by saying, "Hey, uh, un, un, unless until the politicians actually do something for you, you you gotta uh, 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 withhold your vote and your donations." And and that's when the PMCs really get mad because they're like, if you tell people not to vote for the Democrats, they're going to lose. And, and that's when the uh, uh, evil Republicans are going to take over. That's right. You're right about that. No, like, and when I say hold people accountable, I mean exactly what you just said. Hold them accountable. Stop voting for them. Stop donating money to them. Why should you continue to keep putting them back in office and they're not doing anything? So people don't like when I say that, though, but I, I'm sorry. But it's like continuing to promote uh, an employee that's not doing their job. Would you give them a promotion if they're not doing their job? No. Nope. So it's just, it's for me, I think, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. Like something needs to change here, but I will say, I don't think it's going to change with, with the TYT. I think TYT has become so big to the point now where they don't really, they don't really care 
how us on this side may feel because it doesn't really affect them in any way, shape or form. I think the reason why Brink, uh, Jink chose to have that discussion with Bree is like I said, I think it was for him to bring yeah. views over to TYT. Yeah, and, and, she's a very, uh, and she's a very nice person. She's not going to like push back like, like how RBN would or, you know, like, like uh, uh, different people would at all. You know, like I was actually shocked at like how calm she was because like if if like like most people would just like go yell at Jack Uger too like how he was uh, screaming at her yeah I, I think that he he just felt like he was acting to me I thought he was over the top and a bit ridiculous you can push back on people by not yelling at them I've pushed back on several people that have come on my show but I don't scream at them like he does I think it's just all a show it's all for performance and it's unfortunate like I said like I don't know man like, I used to like TYT, like, back in the day, but they have definitely changed. Yeah, and... me too. I was, like, a paying member for, like, 2010 to 2020. So I'm very sad. But, yeah, uh, thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much, Karthik. Okay. Loki, you are next. Just have to unmute. Yeah. Do you hear me? I do. Okay. I guess I'll... Uh... So I just pop off uh, everything real fast and you can talk about what you want or just say one thing, one subject at a time. Anyways, I was just going to go right now. Uh, universities for me, they like, I can, yeah, the reason that they're so kind of arrogant and pompous is because they are, they are institutions that come from, you know, colonialism and imperialism, you know, that's, that's that's where a lot of them got their start. Not to say all universities were like that, because there's many civilizations that had different types of universities. But you know, modern Western universities and their curriculum are you know the re the result of that that kind of um, history. And I feel that all this, uh, all the you know, quote unquote, wokeness right now in the present is just like the power structures attempt to co-op the power of revolution you know that naturally bubbles up when people are oppressed you know and you know it's kind of leveraging people's rage against them by by dividing them and letting them be pissed off at each other instead of the the institutions that actually perpetrated you know all the all the injustice and you know that that designed the exploitive system and teach the exploitive ideology you know yeah, I just want to add in really quick here. I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but at one point, Harvard University actually used to practice eugenics. So, yeah, oh, I mean, that's why I keep telling sure. people these institutions are conservative. Like, people think that they're like these, I don't know, progressive, like, bubbles or progressive institutions. That's not true. Yeah, definitely. But that's it's in their interest to appear that way, though, to attract, you know, more more students. Because, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, like majors and you know probably liberal arts or I'm sure there's certain I think certain professions attract certain people from one side of the political spectrum or another. I'm sure there's not too many liberals going to be like you know engineers on oil wells and stuff, you know. Or maybe nowadays there are because the left is center right now, but. <laughs> So, and um, on Cenk Uger, uh, I had the I had the same issue as the second caller. I think I was 
you know, because I, I used to watch TYT in back in the day when when they were covering the you know when when they their YouTube channel wasn't so popular because they were on um they were on like cable television and and such. But now like listening to him speak, like I I try to listen to the whole clip, you know, the one hour and thirty minute clip for so I can have solid reference. But just listening to him talk, he's just Oh man, it's it's terrible. It feels like brain rot, and I think he's a straight straight up ghoul because he's trying to divide the left. And anybody who di- who's trying to divide the working class on purpose, I I think should be seen as a ghoul. You know, should, can be should be considered a a ghoul. And you know, to me, Cenk simply a a servant of the empire who uses like the language of the oppressed to kind of trick people into supporting the status quo you know kind of like the same was that democracy now used to be one of the most impartial news channels ever and and now they they you know they're a soundboard for the mainstream narrative as well you know so it happened to them as well it's not like it's that um, unusual at the moment yeah people started to change their rhetoric after trump lost it's it's unfortunate what happened to democracy now because that was one i used to watch a lot um pretty heavily actually and now i'm starting to see some of these left outlets make excuses for war and imperialism it's really sad and uh you know i think they're they're going along with the narrative that's gonna keep continuing to push them up in the algorithm it's just become all about money i don't feel like it's really about a movement anymore i feel like people don't want to fight and johnny had a point earlier when he said there's no leader and he's right there isn't there's you know, Bernie left and there's nobody else to take on that mantle. And, you know, Bernie should have had someone to come behind him in the event that he lost. He should have had a backup, somebody else to take on that mantle and continue on the movement on the outside. But he didn't. And I think we all know why. Yeah, that's 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 all truthful facts you're you're speaking there. But at the same time, the, the way I see it, like, yeah, Bernie was a colossal opportunity to maybe, you know, nip a lot of problems in the bud that would have helped tremendously, you know, and he would have, he would have, you know, beat, beat Trump almost, you know, certainly. But, um, oh yeah, you know, besides that election year, it's, yeah, he really, he really just like sacrificed all of that energy, all of that momentum to yeah like ha- like he he was he was af- afraid of the establishment uh, democrats but he would have had way more allies after you know do doing that and implementing what you know the people asked him to implement which it sounded like he wanted to do for a while but um the the way i see it is that's also not not that important as well because you know also we people can make changes through through uh you know much easier through through local politics and if if need be you know states can secede from from the united states if they have to you know at the at the most extreme but you know there's there's more room in there to for for people to to implement things that work what where that where the hell was i hearing this i think um mississippi mississippi you know is like one of the poorest place and last in education for for some of the for some of the years they did the statistics and stuff but they have a housing first policy and they don't 
and therefore they don't have so many homeless people, you know, walking around and leaving needles around and causing a ruckus and wasting the cops budget and stuff. So who, who the hell would have thought, you know? Yeah, Mississippi is a great example because that is a red state for the most part. And even they were still willing to fight and fix the homeless issue, right? And so when people say that, oh, that's just an issue on the left, no, it's not. Like, that's a class issue. So I think Mississippi should really be, I would say, hopefully the starting point. And I hope more states will look at what Mississippi is doing and adapt that as well, because that just goes to show you we can build more homes. Like to say that we can't, that's just an excuse to keep people poor and to keep people in poverty. So I would really like for people to look to what Mississippi is doing. I don't know. Maybe we could make that a ballot initiative here in Massachusetts or something like that. Like you have to do something. And I, I'm seeing the homeless population increase here as well over the past year. I mean, we have a mini skid row here now. We didn't have that before. Right. So it's just it's it's just increasing and getting getting worse. But again, if people are still talking about these issues, especially something like homelessness as a left right issue. And I say that because. Oh, what's his name? Um, oh, hold on. If people keep talking about it as like a left right issue, then it's not going to get across to the masses that this is something all of us should be fighting for. And it's not just something that leftists want to do. Homelessness affects people regardless of their political party or their political affiliation. I don't think the mainstream political machine, the, the, mo the monopoly, whatever you call it, or the, the corporate lobbyists that fund them are interested in people uniting over any cause like too heavy. You know what I mean? Cause then that's kind of, it causes a precedent. They're like, Oh shit, that actually worked. You know, let's solve the next problem like this. And the next problem, and then I think they're aware that it will s snowball and all their, all their backdoor deals, all the, all the little paperclip, you know, snuck in, um, what do you call it? Laws that they that they snuck into different different meetings and stuff for Congress and like to the president, all and all the stuff written by think tanks, like all that shit's gonna come to light once people get the ball rolling on, you know, trying to trying to prune the other bullshit because they're they're right now they're they're pushing like lobbyists are pushing into state laws and stuff as well, and that's like. The most obvious um, example of that is is the Israeli lobby, like may, like trying to get states to put in their fucking constitutions or in their laws, at least that you can't that you can't do anything, have anything to do with the BDS, or or you get thrown in jail or fined or whatever. It's like that's that's some straight straight unconstitutional bullshit, you know? Right, and I think I remember his name. Um, so Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's the guy who gave the $20 million to TYT. Last year, he actually was trying to criminalize homelessness in Los Angeles. Now, if he say he's supposed to be on the left, why would you want to criminalize homelessness? You see what I mean? Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's it's a problem. I mean, again, I, I think the answer is, you know, not more cops, not more people in jail. I think we need to fix the poverty situation. 
And one of the ways that we can do that is by building more homes that can be done in different states, especially in rural areas where there's a lot more land. And I also think that people need to be paid a living wage. And I don't I don't get why some people will just make that a left right issue like that affects people across class lines. And I think that that's the message that we need to continue to put out. And I think trying to convince people like Jink Uger is not going to change anything because he's not going to change his rhetoric. You know, I mean, they're pretty much when I've listened to TV, uh, TBT, when I listened to TYT Mm -hmm. recently, I mean, they kind of sounded just like MSNBC to me. So it's like you see the direction that they've chosen to go in. So I don't think convincing him is is going to work. I think we need to just find a way to move forward with the people that actually want to and not so much focus on the people that are going to continue to like smear us and continue to say, you know, bad things about us and that we shouldn't do these things. I think we need to focus on the people who actually want to get things done. Definitely. And uh, not just the people that you know, pledge or say they want to get things done, but the, the people, the people who, who have, you know, who have records with their, with their hands on the ground and stuff, or at least have, have an idea so great that like, like nobody can find a, can find a hole in it. But I I feel that people, I don't know, like, I, I think even like we're like, people's minds have been so conditioned even in, in terms of what what questions that they will they will ask you know what i mean they like people are more interested in rhetoric and they're more in our our academic culture has has like exalted um debate you know like debate supposed to be like you know make you a badass intellectual if you can prove somebody wrong with your words or make them look bad or make straw men you know there's there's lots of there's lots of techniques that only work in debate, but as far as implementing your strategy or building what you need to do, you have to make a prototype. You need to make an ex- example. You have to flesh it out. You have to develop it, refine it. And you ha- at the end, you have to make something that fucking works and you have to test it and show that something works and you can't just, you know, bl- blather on about it forever. Yeah. You know? 100%. And I totally get why some people want to do the debates. I get it. But at the same time, it's not getting anything done. It's not helping fix any of these problems. And it starts to become more about ego than it does about let's get things fixed. Let's work together and get something done. So that's why to me, it's just the whole debate me bro thing. I just, I don't understand how that's helping, how that's yeah. helping people who need help right now. Well, definitely. If, if the debate bros want to like, you know, ask uh bill gates or klaus schwab or one of them harass them for for a debate like that that's fine but you know oftentimes they're 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 picking on people that are already you know oppressed that you know just might might have a view that kind of irritates them a little bit for for one reason or the other and you know just what most people in our society you know because they've been conditioned through through the nature of our society, the way it's consumeristic and it's selfish and it's self-serving is that people are invested in their own perspective more. And therefore, when a new perspective comes in that kind of rocks their boat, it, it pisses people off a bit, you know. And, you know, not everybody has the ability to quiet their ego enough to to listen to another person's perspective wholeheartedly that they can really 
like take in all the information as it is and really see the other person's perspective and then give a truly logical answer. You know what I mean? Like when you really listen to somebody, then you can really give an honest, logical answer. But when you like half listen to somebody or you're just thinking of your own reply as someone else talks, you know, and you don't really listen, then you kind of, you know, you're fucking the whole conversation. And it's not, it's not productive anymore. Then it's a, you know, it's a debate bro thing or whatever the fuck you want to call it. That's right. Well said. Thank you so much for calling Loki. I'm going to go to uh, Schnarf. Okay. Thanks for having me. Okay, Schnarf, you are the next caller. How you doing, Savvy? Hello. Oh my God, thirty more minutes and I get to leave the uh, the uh, the proverbial plantation. So, <laughs> actually, you know what? Nobody ever leaves the plantation. That's not the right term for it. Um, so, I, what I what I what I think is interesting is this: is that a lot of a lot of the discussions that take place in the in the left circle. What they circle around is around the cult of personality, right? So we talk about Shank Uger, we talk about TYT, we talk about these institutions. But really what is missed is that we should avoid the, the kind of typical American default celebrity culture discussion and talk about issues. My thing is always money, right? Like my focus is always money. And if you chase the money, start, things start falling into place. You mentioned before that there was $26 million of funding that was given to TYT. I believe that was in 2017. That's the tip of the iceberg because altogether was $86 million. Who's actually funding these people is not obvious to me. Like, we don't know, right? Like, the only way we would know is if we were sitting in the in the room where they're doing the, the, the fucking presentation and trying to sell the shit, right? But the one thing I will tell you is this, is that they have they have their presence on multiple platforms just off of YouTube alone, based on the number of views that their videos generally get, they're banging out about 25 million. I can and that's a guesstimate from a person that that does this kind of stuff for for a living. I could tell you that they're making at least 25 mil. If there's 25 mil in in a in a in any kind of a, a a media outlet, you you know that they're serving corporate interests, right? But then on top of that, I see Anna Kasparian or whatever her name is pop up in Jacobin, and she's ha- she has her hands in the in the leftist conversations as well, right? So my my point here is like, how can you trust a corporate entity to begin with, right? So then Cenk Uger sits down, Brianna shows up, and he he, he carries out his white savior complex on a stage, and the, the people that are on the fringe of the so-called left that still watch MSNBC but sometimes need a little stronger dose, they, they watch TYT. Those are the people that, that this audience is, is geared towards. I don't think there's really an American left, right? Like that might exist in this conversation and, 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 and a few people that are scattered out. But for the most part, it's still a, a product or a commodity that's designed to appeal to the people that are in the MSNBC kind of circuit. So all I'm saying is, is that if you look, how can you trust anything that's driven by money? And then on top of that, why are we feeding into the whole cult of personality? Like, we always talk about these individuals. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, there's certain people I like to listen to. But more importantly is the ideas, right? Like, 
let's scale back and actually talk about the things that really matter as opposed to, oh, you know, the, 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 the confrontation between Nina Turner and Jimmy Dore or like, hey, uh, Iron Mate and, and TYT. Like these things keep happening every day over and over again. And it's like the National Enquirer. Let that go. Let the cult of personality die. Start fresh. That's a good point. I can tell you, I can't tell you why other people talk about it. Um, I talk about it, and that's usually not the majority of what I talk about, at least not on my channel. Um, but I talk about it because I want people to wake up to the fact that even some of these spaces that say that they're left per se, they're still basically giving you the same propaganda that you would get from mainstream media. And I think that is important for people to know. I think that's, I think we need to, we do need to address that because there are people who don't realize that and they do watch them and they think that they're giving them that left perspective and they're not. And I want people to wake up to that and realize, listen, it's not okay if you hear them speaking pro-war rhetoric. That's not okay. It's not okay if you hear them telling people that such and such is a right-wing talking point when you're talking about a class issue. Uh, because those people are keeping them in the duopoly. They're keeping them in the two-party system. And they're giving these audience members this illusion that they can actually change things from, from within the inside. And you can't. And we've been shown this time and time again, you can't. And it, it pains, it's painful for me when I can continue to see people give them all this, give these politicians all this money because they really believe, oh, we'll have them on the inside and they'll change from the inside after we've been shown multiple times before by the squad members and with Bernie Sanders himself that that is not going to happen. So I think what we want to do is we want to get people to focus on the issues that can actually, we can actually probably solve ourselves and not depend on politicians. And one of the ways that we can do that is through mutual aid. One of the ways that we can do that is by getting some of these issues passed via ballot initiatives on the local level. And you don't hear a lot about local politics on some of these shows like TYT. If you pay close attention, because I notice you don't hear a lot about it. And if you really want to make a lot of change when it comes to electoral politics, your best shot at doing that is on the local level, not so much on the national level. So that's why I talk about it, but I also don't talk about it every day. So my, my other my other thing to you is this, right? Like I, I hear I hear a lot of people always bring the, the debate me bro situation up, right? So if you don't have if you don't have an individual who has the capacity to to have intellectual combat with the people that that create the narrative that drives everything that the status quo is based on you don't inherently have anything that that that's that's directly taking that on what do you have right you have attempts at at, at political uh, you know, uh, political experiments on a local level. You have maybe cooperatives. You have like things here and there. But if you don't do intellectual combat with the Cato Institute, with all these right wing libertarian think tanks that, that that pepper the conversation about money, race, America, society, all of that shit, what you're left with is no 
like there's no actual cohesive identity to stand behind for the American left. And that's why it's so scattered and all over the place. Right. Because who is the voice of the American left savvy? Like it's hard to say, right. Who, who is the, the voice of the American left? Well, if you ask some people, they would say the voice is people like Bernie Sanders and AOC, they would say the voices, if you're looking at commentators, they would say TYT. They what, would say would the ghost, what would the ghost of Glenn Ford say, right? I, 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 you know what it is? If there's one person we can bring back, Glenn Ford, from the Black Agenda Report, yeah. bring him back. Because, like, we need we need somebody like that. I, I, like, yep. I, you, you, you know who else you should have on your show? Margaret Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Margaret Kimberly, have you had her on 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 your show? Yeah, she's been on. Like, we're we need more people of of that of that spectrum. You know, like there, there has to be more of an exchange, right? So this call in is great that people can talk directly to each other, but like we need to co- we need to coalesce around an actual agenda, and and that actual agenda, especially for people, uh, you know, like, and I don't want to differentiate, right, like. We as people, whether like, in, in, you know, whether we're Native American, black or, or Hispanic, like we need to coalesce around an idea of, of self-determination. Right. So we have a whole different agenda as opposed to like, you know, the working class white people in America. Right. We and I think that that need is oftentimes co-opted and, and manipulated into the woke politics that you see from the Democratic Party and and, and the weird, strange, uh, insidious nature of academia where, you know, you're right, it's a very conservative agenda, but at the same time, you have Judith Butler and you have all these kind of very woke ideas with no material gain for anyone, right? What I'm trying to say is, is that we have to coalesce around an idea before, like, actually having... A, a, a means, a, a ship to actually sail the fucking ocean of of political disaster, right? That That's America. Yeah. I mean, I will add, I can't speak for everybody else, but I, I will add that us over at RBN, we actually, we have talked about those issues with those people being paired with the think tanks. In fact, we talked about Sagar and Jetty and, uh, Marshall, I think his last name is Kozlov. We talked about the yeah, it is the Manhattan there. Institute. I think it's the yeah. Manhattan Institute or the Hudson Institute. I don't know which one it is. One yeah, of those. And, and and I'll be honest with you, we got a lot of pushback. Like a lot of anger came from that from other people because we talked about that. Um, so we do talk about those things. And I think you know, in reference to people like Margaret Kimberly, I think Black Agenda Report is incredibly underrated. And I would like to see people like Danny Haifong and Mar- um, uh, Margaret Kimberly. I would like to see other platforms bring them on, but they won't because they identify them as the Jimmy Dore left. So you have to look at people like Black Agenda Report. They're anti-imperialist. They're anti-capitalist. You know, they're anti-war. And so a, a network like TYT isn't going to bring them on. And that's the problem. This is the problem because they they have the larger audience. They don't want their audience to hear that message. And I say no. Like I challenge them and say, whether you agree with Black Agenda Report or not, still bring them on and then debate your point. Like if you don't agree with them, then push back and say why you don't agree. But to hide them 
from your audience, I think isn't fair. And I think you're giving your audience just a one-sided view. I've had people come on that I do not agree with. I've had people come on that my audience in the live chat was just like, oh my God, not this guy. But you need to have those conversations. I, I agree with you. So my, my, I guess my final question to you is um, like, who, who, who do you want to bring on that, that would benefit this audience? Like, who do you like? Do you, do you have anyone in mind that that would fit this audience or your or the discussions that typically you want to see hap, like actually happen? Hmm. Well, I mean, there's people I would like to bring on, but my audience may not necessarily care for them too much. But I think. I would like to talk to them because I think that we should have this discussion that they need to hear how other people feel. And so for me, like I would bring on, I mean, some people like Green, some of my audience members like Lynn Greenwald. Some of them don't. Uh, I would like to bring him on. I would mm. like to bring on Russell Brand. Uh, I would like to bring on uh, Yvette uh, Carnell. I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. Mm. I would like to bring her on. Like there's, there's a lot of people that I have reached out to, but they just don't respond. Um, Cornell West, I would like to bring on, but I mean, there's, there's different people that I would like to talk to, but people may not necessarily agree with their views per se, but I think you still should have those conversations with those people. I mean, I brought Jordan Sheraton on. I mean, we didn't agree on everything, but we at least had the conversation. You know, I, I, more power to you. I mean, you 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 go out of your way to create that. I think the one thing that I, I would I would rec- just just tell you is just don't don't become tyt. <laughs> that's it, and that's good enough for me because you you make the effort to actually have the conversation and you take time out of your day, and that's extremely commendable. Just don't become Anna Kaspari and and Jen Kuger <laughs> and. The, than TYT because they're, you know, like I, I don't even watch that. Like, I'll be honest with you. I can't even remember the last time I watched TYT. I don't yeah, watch it's that been shit. a while for me. It was after force. Like, I think the last time was during force the vote. And then after that, I just bailed. Yeah. They rubbed me the wrong way, but, um, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Narf. All right. Uh, red, you're on the mic. Hey, yo, What's the word? Hello. Oh, How you doing, Savvy? Or I call you Sabrina. <laughs> How you want me to refer to you as I'm a first time caller? You can call me either one. <laughs> How you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. What's your take on all of this? Oh man. I'm exhausted with politics. <laughs> all this shit. Um I definitely feel like the left is way more divided now. Maybe we're probably a little less confused because anybody that hasn't written off TYT or Jank or all them other cats over there is like, yeah. Um, I listened to that whole thing and my whole thing with it was like you kind of pointed it out on the uh on the stream yesterday or oh, the day before. I can't remember. All these damn days is gonna blur together, but um. They didn't, it was like, they really didn't even talk about nothing. It was like, okay, yeah, you call Bria fake leftist, but all your issues seem to be with other people 
and you seem to be scared to talk to these dudes or you don't want to talk to these dudes because they're like the far right. It's like, dude, I mean, if you really about it, stand on business and talk to them and call them out if you really feel like they're wrong about something. I mean, I feel like with, like how you say, all of these, all it is with Jank is that it's personality. All it is over in TYT is personality. Like, I don't know, like, all the business onto their funding in any way, shape, or form. But when I started listening to them, like, in 2015, I believe, you know, yeah, they weren't really that much. But by the time they started getting all the funding, then they started going onto, like, cable. Then they started going onto, like, platforms like Twitch, which is, like, a video game. I was like, okay, that's new. But I'm not going to be – I wasn't going to fault nobody for, like, trying to spread their message and their platform on. But – when they did this shit to Bernie again, and they're still like, well, now we got to go out and vote for Biden. I was like, nope, all right, that's it, I'm out. <laughs> because I was, out there, I was out there actually canvassing for Bernie for uh, 2020. And I was telling people like straight up, like the hardest, I always tell the story, like the hardest uh, campaign, like the hardest like on the grounds work that I had to do was when I walked into this black barbershop and Everybody was just like looking at me like, dude, we, we ain't trying to hit all these politicians come in saying the same thing. And I just kind of had to tell them like, look, I'm only for this dude and this dude only. And if he's not the guy, then I promise you, y'all ain't gonna never hear from me again. And I didn't really make it about personalities. I really talked about like the policies that he stood for. And it's really something that's kind of like unifying for a lot of people that like, really don't know that really kind of don't know where they kind of got to go with politics in every shape or form because i kind of feel like a lot of people became lost after barack obama so especially like in where i'm from i'm from the west side of chicago which is just pretty much which is just pretty much the hood <laughs> but um it was just like that's just that voice it's just like i want to just talk to these people have these conversations what are your struggles what are your issues what do you want to see change or what do you want to see better and when I feel like those conversations aren't there, I just completely disengage. And that's kind of why, like, I really, really disengage with Jank and uh, TYT. So I'm with you. We kind of need to take these personal. We need to take these personal issues out of it. We need to take the personalities out of this and get it back to these issues right now because it's starting to look like a rerun with politics now with all of these old faces coming back. And that's kind of what's making me discouraged. Like, oh, this ain't even worth getting into anymore. Yeah, no, I totally hear you. Um, and this is the thing too. I'm glad, you know, you're one of the people I get to talk to that canvassed Bernie Sanders, because when I tried to talk to people about Bernie Sanders, especially like in 2020, I did the same thing you did. I talked about the issues, not the person. And when I talk to people about the issues, for the most part, even some of the people who were conservative, especially when it came to health care, most of the conservatives agreed that everyone should have health care. So that's why I feel like, why, why are we having this exchange on TYT and Jink Uger is making it about individual people instead of about the policies and the issues at hand? And one thing I, I gathered from that discussion is that he made it very clear that he's only willing to go so far when he said we have to have a line that we don't cross. That told me he's only willing to go so far. When he told me that, well, yeah, I know, look, I want health care too, but it would have been a catastrophe if they would have forced the vote and da-da-da. 
It was during a pandemic that told me he's only willing to go so far. And so I think what's best for us to do is to, again, focus on the people that do want to move forward doing other actions to try to get something for the people. And I highly recommend, if you're not familiar with them, I highly recommend everybody check out Black Power Media. And I mention them because like RBN, they're actually doing work on the ground with the community. They're doing mutual aid. Uh, they're, they're doing a lot of things to like help people, and particularly like in the Black community, to help people in their areas. And I think this is where we need to go. I think when we look at the personalities, like the left commentators and things like that, I want to see. Wait, Sabrina, I love Start to try to help people with housing, help people with meals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can you hear me now? Okay. I want to see them do the same things that, that we're doing. And if that means that they can't actually go out and do it themselves, you know, they have, they have a team. We don't have a team. I don't have no team. Like they have a team of people that can help. And like, they know a lot of people, they have more resources than we do in reference to the left community. I think this is the way we need to go. We need to not just talk about these issues online and on our shows. We need to actually do work in the community. And if every single one of us did that, I think we could really change the space. But the problem that we have is that, like I said in that, that clip earlier, some people are a little too comfortable and they don't want to get out there and do the work. And my thing is, if you have the resources, there is really no excuse for you to not help with something. I was greatly disappointed Last year, the marches for Medicare for all in over 50 cities in this country, I was very disappointed to see the number of people who had been advocating for Medicare for all throughout both of Bernie Sanders campaigns did not even try to attend or tweet about it or talk about it on their show. And I think that was a big sign for me that, look, they may say they're about it, but are they really about it about it? And I would say, no, the majority of them are not. So as much as they want to criticize Jimmy Dore, Jimmy Dore was at the March for Medicare for All. So I'm sorry, but I'm looking at people that are doing action versus those who have inaction. Right. I right. I would kind of I would kind of come back and say this, and I can only say that I speak from my own experience. Maybe it's not so much that people just kind of don't, but it kind of can also be that feeling of just like, man, fuck it, I give up. <laughs> Like, I've definitely had a lot of that. Like, after the whole Bernie thing ended, you know, some of those people started, some of the people that I was working with were calling me back and was like, hey, you want to go out here? We got to go out here and uh, uh, march with the Biden people. And everything. I'm like, no, the fuck? I'm not about to get ready and go out here and tell people, okay, choose between this racist and this rapist or this racist and this rapist and act like I'm really finna get. No, y'all can count me out. I'm, I'm clocking out. And, like, my thing with it is, like, this. With, here's how I feel about Jank and, like, how he kind of goes that thing. People kind of got to remember, like, when Martin Luther King was kind of, like, out there actually doing the march on Washington and actually doing the Montgomery boy cop bus and doing all these things, everybody liked to hold this dude, John F. Kennedy, like he was the white hope. But he was kind of actually telling King, hey, man, be easy, be easy. Don't go this rough about it. I'm going to handle it. 
just don't don't cause too much of a scene. You're gonna get these gonna get these FBI people on us, and it's just gonna cause a big headache. And it's just like no, it's just like the only reason you even won was because you got because you used me to get me out of uh because it was something I remember watching on some documentary when it was the race between him and Nixon. It was something to where it was like, all right, between Nixon and Kennedy, who was the race to get King out of jail? And that was kind of like the turning point for specifically the black vote. And it's like, Jane kind of gives me those vibes. It's just like, yeah, we got to fight, but we're not going to fight like this in any shape or form. And maybe whereas with, and I don't really know, even with Kennedy, but for where I feel like where it comes from with Jane is, if shit really starts fighting like this, then yeah, one, you're probably going to lose your money. And two, if we're talking personalities, because I'm actually friends with a couple of influencers and whatever, the one thing that they'll tell you is drama sales and conflict sales. So he needs this, he kind of needs this drama to go up. And I really don't know the issues between him and Jimmy Dore. I actually started trying to catch up on that because I guess all of that shit was going down right around the time when I checked out of politics for a little bit. But it was like, man, what did Jimmy Dore do to this dude to make him so mad? Like Glenn Greenwald and all of them. Like all of those dudes he was saying. It was like, yeah, this conversation isn't going anywhere with Bree. And I really don't know why he would even waste time even trying to reach the branch out with this dude. Because if he's even saying, no, I'm not even going to talk to these dudes, then what are we even having this conversation for? And it's like, we got to understand, we got to understand that, yeah, we're going to have imperfect allies. Like, um, part of like some of the strategizing we was doing, we was actually talking with people who was canvassing for Bernie and like the South in any way, shape, or form. And I know in Texas they're real big on high school football, but a lot of those guys take and they're so big on high school football they take that shit like it's the actual NFL. So those yep. dudes, actually, those young boys, they be getting like banged up and fucked up and everything. My cousin got like banged up real bad and he had to stop he had to stop playing for a whole year because something happened with his ankle and his mom couldn't even his mom couldn't even afford the care to get him taken care of down there he had to come up here and heal so when i was telling them when y'all down there talking to texas talk to these parents of these boys tell them with medicare for all listen systematically if you even if i'm perfectly fine and healthy if your son gets hurt playing football, if my tax dollars can get like raised a little bit to ensure that he gets the best care, not this, not this like classism, not like this class, um, I'm trying to think of the words on how I'm trying to say, it, but not like this class systematic way of, okay, if you got money, we got you, but if you don't, you know, get in where you fit in, we'll get to you when we get to you. No, it's just like everything kind of needs to be like equaled out because you're basically saying, if I got money, I can live, I can be healthy, and if I don't, I'm on my own, and yep. I'm left for dead. So when you're telling us that we're left for dead, then why should I even care which one of you, which either one of you motherfuckers get in, right or left? So no, those are all and those I, are all good points, right? And I wouldn't even, and I may be even giving Jake a little too much credit by even like trying to compare him to like the Kennedy effect, but it's kind of that's kind of the vibes I got from. It. It's like, okay, we go, all right, we're not going to fight, but we're not going to fight this way. It's like, dude, we can't keep going with this passive fighting 
And if you want to pass the fight because you want to keep up your money, that's cool. But don't tell other people that actually got some anger and some passion behind this that they're wrong for how they're coming with their approach. Because it's legit people out here suffering. They're angry. They ain't got, they ain't got time for this. I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I really think that they need to talk to some of the people like you and like Nick and Rome that canvassed on the ground. Because I'm sorry, but people didn't do that for career ambitions. People did it because they were passionate about these policies, and they really believed that Bernie would be the one to try to get us these things. And so to just discard those people and to just say, well, this is the way it is, you just got to go out there and support Biden because the Republicans are worse. Nah, you don't get to do that. You don't get to do that because even supporting Joe Biden, just going with the Democrat instead of the Republican or whatever, even doing that, it's still not getting you Medicare for all. August is almost done. Joe Biden still hasn't canceled student loan debt. Any, any of it, any of it. So this is the problem. This is why you can't continue to do this strategy of putting progressives through the Democratic Party, because at the end of the day, even if they disagree with some of the measures, they're going to do what the party wants them to do, and they're going to vote for things that the party wants. That's the problem. So, but yeah, highly recommend. I really want people to check out uh, Black Power Media. I highly recommend, and I wish more people would like promote them because like I said, like RBN, they're doing a lot of work on the ground. So, but thank you so much, Red. I want to get to the other callers. Oh, wait, can I ask you one more thing? Because can I ask you one more thing? Just it's kind of yeah, like, go ahead. Just like because, like I said, I'm really just like on the giving up end, and I think you said it best. This is why I say the left have like way less confusion between. It's way less confusion now, but it's still a divide. It's a divide between, like you said, there are people that want to reform. And there are people that want actual systematic change. And for a lot of people that I see that want actual systematic change, we kind of, a lot of us are winging and like kind of giving up on this fight for everything. And it's just kind of like, I guess you will probably, I guess if I have to ask you like, what would motivate you to keep going? I think you said it earlier, actually. We should probably start at the local level. I know I got a, Democrat, I, I know I got a DSA branch here in Chicago. Every time I'm in like the Pilsen neighborhood, I always see them and I'm talking and spitting game with them. But I mean, besides that, like, where do we go? Because I kind of feel like that Kendrick Lamar song that he did on How to Pimp a Butterfly, where he was like talking to Tupac, <laughs> where he was, where, uh, cause I think Pac said it. he was just like, in this country, like some reason, like we only got a certain amount of time we can examine maximum strength because once we turn 30, they take the fight and the soul like out of a black man. And I kind of feel like that's because they don't want another Malcolm X or Martin Luther King to come up. So if you had any, so if you just had like any, like any advice on like just how to keep going and everything and maybe even I think you said earlier too, you want to talk with other Black Panther and revolutionary from those times too, about like, where do we go from here? Because yeah, right now we're just kind of like, yeah. And I, I have to no tell general. you, yeah. And I have to tell you too, um, one thing I want you to prepare yourself for, cause this has happened to me a couple of times. Some of those uh, revolutionaries from like the sixties and the seventies, 
when I've met up with them in present day, they have kind of gone along with neoliberalism now and telling you to back Biden. So just prepare yourself for that. Some of them are not revolutionary anymore. <laughs> I'm just oh, being honest. Um, everybody but, look at Clarence Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I think that the first and foremost thing is to highly check out Socialist Alternative. Uh, and I recommend going to their website first. Like you don't have to join them to see what I want you to see. Uh, on their website, they explain their model and they explain like what they are as an organization. I think, in my opinion, I believe that's the model we need to follow. What they have done is that they have created organization on the ground with activists, and then the politician comes out from the movement. That's how we got Shama Sawant. Shama Sawant did not want to run for office. Uh, when I interviewed her, she explained that. I was kind of surprised to hear that. But the group decided that she was the best person to run, and she won. And they tried to take her down many times. Like they tried to do a recall against her and everything, but she still beat that yeah. too. But the reason why I say that is because even if the person that chooses to run or that you choose to run loses, you still have them in the movement. They're still doing the work on the ground. So I think this is actually where someone like Cori Bush, I still say she would have been more beneficial if she was on the local level because she was actually able... She was doing more for her community before she was a congresswoman. She came from the Ferguson movement, right? So I think organize locally. And even when it comes to like politics, I would recommend focusing on local politics. Who's running for mayor? Who's running for city council? Or who's on your city council right now? City council meetings are open to the public. Anyone can go to those meetings and tell them, these are the problems that we're having and the things we need to be solved. You have more access to local officials than you do to the ones that are in D.C. And so I think that's where you want to do, but you also still want to do activism and you want to organize. So I highly recommend that you check out Socialist Alternative. Now, if you decide to join them, they have local chapters. So I, I have yeah. a couple of friends here that are a part of it um, here in Massachusetts so they have local chapters and they do stuff like I'm familiar with DSA, but unlike DSA, Socialist Alternative actually does all the activism and organizing to go along with electoral politics as well. That's how they got the fight for 15 in Seattle. So you got us. We got to switch our, our thinking here a little bit. And I don't think it's easy because we've been we've been kind of conditioned to focus on who's running for president. And who's running for Congress. But I think we need to focus on the people that are in city council, the people who are mayors, the people that you have a better chance of getting access to and to organize locally. There's a guy coming on tonight, uh, Peter Schwartzman. He actually won the mayor race in Illinois and he ran a, the Green Party. And so for people who tell me. I heard about that. It was, I yeah. heard about that. Yeah, he wanted to the Green Party. And so people tell me that third parties, this can't happen. Again, I want you guys to understand they're thinking about it on the national level. On the local level, they actually have one. So I'm, I'm excited uh, to hear from him and to get his opinion and his advice about where what we should do, where we should go. But uh, he won 46% of the vote. I saw that, but I swear the site that I was on, I didn't trust it. <laughs> 
Well, it, it, I did. It looked it, it looked it weird because it was just out because it was just like a bunch of alphabets and it was like I can't decipher what any of this shit means. Uh, yeah, like you've gone 46. In fact, it was a uh, it was a subscriber who emailed me and told me about him. So he'll be on tonight. So that should be interesting. Um, oh, but, wow. I got to check that out. Yeah, but I think that's where we should we should start to look. But socialist For alternative. Sure. I'm not I'm not one that's big into joining other organizations because I've been in some and I'm just like, uh, it's been a letdown a lot of times. But if you are going to get involved with one, that's one that I do highly recommend. Yeah, trust me, I'm kind of just like this independent wave is the only way place where I feel safe at right now. But all right, I won't hold you up, Savvy. Shout out to the Sabinators. Thank you so much for having me on. And all right. I got I to tune back in for sure. All right. Thank you, you so care. much, Red. All right. Uh, Karthik, Karthik, since you, you spoke, let me get to Jonathan because Jonathan didn't get a chance to speak. I'll come back. Jonathan, go ahead. You're on the mic. Just after you hit uh, unmute. Okay. Maybe. Okay, you got it. Hello. I just wasn't prepared for you to skip someone. But uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Well, I was going to have a, a short story and then a question. And the story goes like this. I'm at a state university receiving a neoliberal education. And then only after... When I go and read a wealth of nations for myself, and I realize everything they ever told me was a lie. And then I could produce, say, for example, five pages of Adam Smith quotes that if I went out on Fox News out of context with no citations, that they would call me a socialist. You know, universal fixed income, health care, wealth tax, antitrust, uh, regulating international conglomerates, like all this stuff. They're very selective about what they tell you in this in university, where all the textbooks are published by McGraw-Hill, who is owned by Standard and Poor's. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. They don't want you to know things, and they're not going to put it in the education. And I come to understand that all of these, like all those things that we uh, like, Medicare for all, wealth tax, this is all just classic liberalism. It's, I mean, it's really not as bad when you, when I went, I really rode for the serfdom by Hayek myself too. And I was like, it's really not that bad, you know? And so that's exactly story. it's, it's not radical at all. It, huh. it's, it's really sensible, you know, measured centrist stuff that I even kind of like and neo and, and uh, liberalism because of neoliberalism is getting a bad rap these days, but the bulk of classic liberalism makes a lot of sense to me. And the problem with even admitting that is that people are like, oh, Dave Rubin calls himself a classic liberal. Man, fuck Dave Rubin. He doesn't know anything about anything. So don't let him define what classic liberalism is to you, right? So that's the story. And I have to premise that because it has to sort of sets up the question or at least part of my answer to it. The question is the question that was not asked on the interview we're talking about here, isn't it? ironic at a interview about who is and isn't a fake leftist guess what never came up what's a leftist is a conversation that was never had so rather than making the same mistake that they make rather than being like them even brianna god bless her i'm a huge fan but even she and you here now we all of us are guilty of being the commentary on the commentary on the commentary on the commentary instead of doing that how about i ask you right now Sabby, what's the leftist? What's the difference between a liberal and a leftist? 
Well, we've actually broken this down on RBN a couple of times. Uh, for us, we would describe it as being anti-capitalist, being anti-war, being anti-imperialist. Uh, wanting things like, now you have to keep in mind, like when I do say that, we do consider ourselves to be Marxist. So just keep that in mind. So for some people, even coming from the Bernie movement, they may not agree with us on everything that we talk about in reference to this. Sure. But that those Bernie's are- just a liberal. Those are those are big ones. Well, no, liberals aren't anti-capitalist. And see, that's that's the Neither big difference. Neither is Bernie, though, really. Uh, I mean, he does not want to end the capitalist mode of production and have like. Does he want your uh, healthcare provider to be a government employee or just the insurance to be free? Because that's a big difference to me. One of the well, according to Michael, production. according to Michael Parenti, he described Bernie Sanders as a centrist at best. Yeah, that's what I mean. He's not really yeah. left because to be a left, like you've seen the the four axis or uh, the, I guess it's two axis, but you know the four square thing, the political compass, I guess you would call it. To me, then to be all the way left is to be against private property. And I, there's a guy I like called uh, Pierre Joseph Proudhon, who's I actually like him way better than Marx because I think he hits the root of the problem way, he hits that nail way right on the head. And then, but to be yeah. even on the left side of it, you have to be, to me, uh, not just a, you can allow private property, but you have to have a commons. Communism is just going to be the creation of a commons. Like we have roads and running water, but we have so many commons, like the service that I'm using this cell phone on, I'm paying rent for it to a private company, even though it was built with public money. That's not capitalism. That's feudalism feudalism is the problem it's a much bigger problem than the one that marx points out you could even say that everything marx talks about is just one more layer of rent extraction on a very tall pagoda of rent extraction you're renting employment from your boss because all the leverage is in their hands because you need a job the only way wealth is disseminated in our society is through the you know the renting out of your body so you could look at labor as buying someone's time, or you could look at it as renting a person. But if you don't want to understand the directionality of it, you look at the worker as renting employment from their boss. And what they're paying is the surplus value of their labor. So there's Marx in a nutshell. But that's the least of my problems. I can even grant the point. But that's the capitalist problem, whereas every other layer of a 10-layer pagoda is not a capitalist problem. It's a feudalist problem. It's the literal rent I pay. It's the price fixation, which is another form of rent on all the commodities of all the supply lines of all the necessities that I need. It's interest, which is another form of rent. It's a fee you pay for the temporary use of something. When you get a loan, you're renting money from the bank. And you taxes are rent too. You're renting your rights, which means they're not rights, they're privileges. So you have to be against that, and I'm against that. And I guess that's not a way that Marx is going to frame leftism for you. I don't like Marx being the beginning and the end of leftism. I think it's a, he ends up being a straw man. Like he's a smart guy, but he's not a visionary. And I think Proudhon and another political economist named Henry George talk about property and rental, rentierism, not just landlordism. Back in the day, it was pretty much just land. But now you can be a money lord, a debt lord, or it's like, I guess you could say a credit lord. You can be a commodity lord. There's all kind of lords all over the place. And they're a bigger problem. That's the money that comes out of my 
bank account on the second day of the month. You know, it bounces right out of there. Marx is concerned with the money that never makes it into the bank account because the boss took it or his boss took it or his, the boss's landlord took it. And that's a problem too, but that's the floor of the pagoda on which things get made. It's actually the least bad one, the least problematic one. Yeah, and, I mean, I totally hear you. I know uh, we have uh, talked about... um the breakdown of corporate feudalism versus medieval feudalism. We've talked about that on the show as well. And I think that, you know, one thing to keep in mind, which we continue to tell people for a lot of us at RBN, Bernie Sanders was kind of the compromise because yeah, we agree with all those things, but we didn't, do we think it went far enough? No, we think it should have went further. Um, I think Bernie Sanders, and I was very vocal about this uh, what, like two years ago. I think Bernie Sanders uh, made a mistake not having reparations as a part of his platform. I still stand by that. Um, I think that in reference to canceling student loan debt, I think it should have been all of it. And so that's just how I feel about that. But I think that what, what you're right. They didn't. Because I hear that word thrown around a lot. But are you talking about going down to the paint store and lining everybody up by skin hue and however far you are from white to black is what percentage of $100,000 you get? Is that what you no. mean by reparations? Well, then what do you mean? It's easy no. to say what you don't mean. So again, we have actually, so so again, the reason why I didn't go into it is because I've talked about it multiple times on this show. I've talked okay. about it on this Can platform and I've talked about it on my show. So we've broken all of this down like multiple times. Where, where so, would the money go? What are you talking about? Reparations, where would the money go? Well, I think you're looking at reparations as just a form of money. I'm looking at reparations also as a form of systemic change, not just about giving someone a check. So well, I think that's here. the big difference. Well, first of all, again, I'm not going to go into all this right now, because like I said, I've talked about this multiple times and I, I do have a time cut off. But yeah. one of the things I will say is that I brought up before is the education system and hold on one second you may have to heat it up yeah is the education system that has to be fixed if you just give people a check and you don't fix the education system and you don't fix the healthcare system then people are going to be back right back where they started so you do have to have those systemic changes now i will say this there are some people who will disagree with me on that some people, when they talk about reparations, that, they think that reparations should just be a check. I disagree with that. So that's my take on it. But I'm talking yeah, about right. COVID um, taught us that a check, like the monopolist and, and the landlord, will eat up every money goes into your pocket within one fiscal quarter. Now that's what we learned from COVID. We need universal. But that's why services. I said, <laughs> right? But that's mind. why I said it can't just be a check. You have to make the systemic changes. Yeah, but but that being said, people with white skin from the better schools. Well, first of all, this is not going to turn into a reparations conversation. I'm going to go ahead and make that very clear, because, like I said, that's not what this topic is about. And I've talked about this multiple times before. But I will say this, but I will say this, but I will say this. Reparations is a debt that's owed. So let's not sit here and pretend like it's not owed. It is owed. Now, okay, we're not gonna is there anything that you have to say about the current discussion at hand? Is reparations a part of leftism, a part according to you? Yes, 
Okay. That's what I was fishing for, really. All right. I'm moving on to Amanda. 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 Is this bugging for anybody else or is it just me? Okay, can people hear me now? Yes. Okay, this app is crazy buggy. Amanda, it I think is. it's not gonna, it's not. Oh, there you go again. I think I'm just gonna have to end the room because I can't select anyone's name. It just keeps closing every time I, um... oh, wait a minute. Okay, where did Amanda go? You're back. Amanda, I'm going to. Oh, man. She keeps dropping in and out of the line. Okay. Uh, I think I'm going to have to end. we can infer that she said she's going to end the room because everything's bugging out for her. Since apparently it... Okay, it let me then, it let me make you a caller, but it won't let me make Amanda one, and I don't understand why. I think it has to go by who's in line, maybe? And I, I don't think it was working because uh, Jonathan was in the queue. That's my guess, but I don't... In the line, in the caller... Okay. Uh, well, go ahead. I, I think I'm going to have yeah. to wrap this up because I'm afraid it's going to close on me again. Okay. Should, should I? Should, okay. You'll close it and do another room? Is that what's up? Or? No. Well, I have to leave it. For, I got to be off at least by 530 because I have the Sabby and JB show.
But um, oh, yeah, sorry. But go ahead. I- I'm just gonna mute myself. Yeah, I mean, I'm just reading the title, but I- I- it's wild to me how much Jimmy Dore is in the heads of uh, these people. It's kind of wild, man. Like, I I saw some clips of that uh, ex- interview with uh, uh, between uh, J- uh, Jenk and. Uh, what's her name? Rihanna something. And the guy is unhinged, man. Like, there's Trump derangement syndrome, and apparently there's Jimmy derangement syndrome, but uh, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. Oh, no. I don't know what happened to Vin. Vin just disappeared. Vin, like, completely disappeared from the room. Oh boy. Okay, let's let's see. Um Amanda, I made you the next caller, but see if it'll let you unmute. I really think it might just be the app. Yeah, man. Someone said something's funky. Yeah, something is weird. But I don't know what happened to Vin. Like, Vin was talking, and then they just cut out. Oh, shoot. Uh, Let's see. Derek? Derek, is it going to let you speak? You speak? I don't know. Okay, I can hear you. All right. Well, sorry, Amanda and Vin. Um, I would have cut out if you guys popped back up. I didn't see you, though. Um, Yeah, Sabby, I I finally caught uh, via your uh, YouTube show the Shank versus Brianna debate slash, I don't know, babysitting Shank, you know, room. Um, yeah, I mean, I went, I went into that thinking hey, it's probably a bad idea to even provide any ridiculous sellouts from TYT with legitimacy, uh, even acknowledging them, you know, um, Bri handled it really well. Um, you know, if, if the strategy is to, in her mind, you know, convince people to come on over to this other side that really needs to be drawn in, in the sand um, between these fake as fuck leftists and like real leftists and everyone that's on their side. I mean, that, that, I think that's a good approach for her. Uh, well, from, from where she comes from, how she communicates, how she likes to be perceived um, in the political realm. Um, I think she did a great job, you know. Cenk is, is a clown, you know, he's ridiculous. He's like a eighth grader throwing a tantrum. Um, you know, but I think going forward, it, it kind of like, like that line in the sand needed to be drawn. I would have drawn it earlier, but I think she provided a perfectly accurate line. I'd say I was wrong, but her line, I would say, represents the the place where people need to depart from even recognizing there's some connection, you know, to people like everyone at TYT, Scam Cedar, you know, Numiki Konst, Emma Viglin, uh, Anna Kasparian, Chank, I mean, all these people, they're, they're so stupid, Bausch. Um, 
so I think she I think she did a good job. Um, but I, I was still torn at the end because I was like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> like, did, did this just provide all of these people with the impression that somehow everyone else is accountable to Chenk or anyone else over there? It had that feeling of like Chenk is an authority figure and it's, it's up to everyone else, you know, to explain themselves as if they're answerable to these useless idiots. That's a good point. You know, I will say this. Um, I think it's kind of sad that uh, this huge fallout happened over force the vote, a strategy that is in the DSA handbook. I think it's really exactly. a shame that yeah, it. Thanks for pointing that, that out too. Sorry, sorry. Thanks for pointing yeah, that out. Yeah, it's it's in the handbook. Mm hmm. And so, I mean, a lot of times, like, they support, like, the DSA candidates, right? Like, I mean, AOC is a member of DSA. Jamal Bowman is a member of DSA, right? So I actually read all that for myself because I wanted to see, like, what does it say in the DSA handbook? And that's where that strategy comes from. So I think it's it's crazy that how were we even divided over that to begin with? Because if you say that you support the DSA organization and you support their strategies, then why would you have been against that strategy to begin with? Because all kinds of these people are really just Democrats in the end, no matter what word they throw in front of it, leftist, progressive, revolutionary, it doesn't matter what they throw in front of it. In the end, they're still Democrats, closeted or not, big toe in it or little toe, they still identify as Democrats. That's got to be snuffed out. Yeah, and I think that adds to another thing, too, for the people who blame Jimmy Dore for this. Did Jimmy Dore write the DSA handbook? No, I don't think so. So it's just... So it's just you might as well have, though, right? I don't get it. <laughs> Man, it's just... It's it's a doozy. Um, all right. Thank you so much, Derek. Amanda, I'm going to try one. Um... Yeah. Go ahead, Karthik. I got five minutes. Oh, okay. Well, for quickly, I just want to say uh, I don't think you'll ever turn into TYT because because uh, you'll never take the Katzenberg cash. And then um, something I just had a quick question. So I'm going to be starting a job uh, uh, at a college, and I I, I know uh, you previously said you worked in um, education before, and I I'm, I'm just going to be working as a staff member. So do you have like any advice for me or anything you think I should know? This job, does this position require you to work with faculty? Um, no, I, well, maybe like very rarely, but no, I, I don't think for the most part. All right, you should be good then. <laughs> okay, and then last thing I want to say is, so uh, do you think that the current like, like, like system of, of education is kind of like meant to like keep us like, 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 like uh, restrained and just like good little uh, 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 obedient workers just making like, Forty, fifty thousand dollars a year at most, and then just like keeping us part of the system and not making us uh, independent critical thinkers. I do. I do. I, I think they really want to keep us where we are. I mean, they don't really want us to. You know, I, I 
although I, you know, I hate like capitalism, but I, I will tell you this, if you get the opportunity where you can work for yourself and you can still support yourself, I highly recommend doing that because as long as you work for somebody else, you just, you're just exploitation for them. You really are. And it's, it's a sad system. It sucks. And not everybody can start a business. Not everybody can be an entrepreneur. This is something I would say to Andrew Yang. I want Andrew Yang to understand. Not everybody can start a business. It takes money to do that. And so if you already have money, you already got a leg up. If you don't have money, it's going to be harder for you. And I think that I wish it were easier for people to do that. So they wouldn't have to deal with like working for these companies or having bosses that are just irate or not appreciative of your work you know it's 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 a problem so but thank you so much uh, Karthik yeah, I'm gonna try you. to get Amanda one more time okay Amanda just gotta unmute Sabrina thank you can you hear me I can hear you thank you for being patient and I thank you for being patient today 100 years ago today women were extended the right to vote it's not that long ago because how old is the country um so we just got that um, and i'm just going to make a quick recommendation i think you should maybe interview uh zakia thomas she's the new president and ceo of the era coalition and the fund for women's equality um i think that you will find um a lot of interesting things happening and and she just joined the organization she was just hired in june um and um there's a lot of exciting um initiatives that they're doing including um bringing in young people um in the media sphere so i just urge you and i can put a link in the in the um, chat if you like, but um, the ERA coalition is working to get the Equal Rights Amendment, um, the 28th Amendment, put into the Constitution. We are inches inches away. If we put some pressure on our on our elected officials right now during campaign season, we might be able to get it done. So. Yeah, ERA Coalition is is the organization that I urge people to go look into this, and I, I think that this would be a great interview. Have a great show. Thank you for being awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Amanda. I will check that out. Guys, uh, me and JB are going to be live with the Bank Sisters on RBN today. Uh, we're going to talk about this whole situation that happened with Anne Haish, and there's more news that has come out about that, about what she was trying to accomplish. The whole story is just weird. So we're gonna talk about that. And then I'll be live tonight on my channel at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm gonna talk about uh, Kim Iverson and Russell Brand's conversation about the Espionage Act. Uh, which it looks like the DOJ is going to use against uh, Trump. So that'll be interesting. I'm also going to have Peter Schwartzman will be on. He's going to talk about uh, basically how he was able to win as a Green Party candidate. And 
I'm also talking about Dan Price. I don't know if you guys heard the news about him. I just found out this morning. Um, so that should be interesting. And I believe we're also talking about uh, Pramila Jayapal's statement about the Inflation Reduction Act and uh, how that has actually recently been debunked on mainstream media. So that should be really interesting. Other than that, guys, I do have to head out. Thanks so much for hanging with me through the technical difficulties. But have a good night.